Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast, part four of our top 20 play, Essendon players of the 90s. Uh, my name is Grant Hill and with me is Scott. Hello, everyone. Great to be back. This is the big finale. I uh, hope you, everyone is excited about this as much as we are. It, it feels like it's been a very long four-part series. It has. It, uh, it's been a lot of uh, hour and a half, an hour and ten minute episodes but look it's been fantastic obviously having the likes of Gary and Rowan joining us uh, and I just wanted to obviously introduce uh, first Rowan Conley from Footyology and a big thanks to him for joining us for the 80s and 90s series. Good evening uh, all thanks for having me. And Gary O'Donnell obviously uh, master skipper fantastic player fantastic bloke who hates to be complimented so sorry Gary to introduce you that way but uh welcome to the show all good great to be back and it's almost taken a decade to do this hasn't it so <laughs> five to one tonight and obviously uh we've got Neil who commonly known as Knackers from Bomber Blitz uh Mr Training Report Guru uh welcome Neil Thanks, Scott. Great to be here again. And welcome back, Grant, from your one-week suspension. Thank you very much. Yeah, I had a, a quick tear in my uh, medulla oblongata, um, but, uh, but Doc Reed got me up, so I'm okay. Yes, well, obviously, uh, last week we uh, made it known that you had Gary O'Donnell at number 11 and it was a forced suspension, uh, <laughs> which I think we all understand and respect, but Gary was nice enough to, uh, to let me know that Grant probably should come back this week uh, so he can insult him direct to his face. <laughs> so look, I want to kickstart the show and get straight into it. Uh, I'll start with my number five. We're covering number five to the magic number one today. Uh, my number five, we'll start with Mark McCurry, uh, who we spoke of last week. Uh, extremely skillful player, great overhead. Uh, probably in the late 90s was just, a, uh, uh, if you wanted to talk just sheer talent, was probably top five in the AFL. Uh, could be a game breaker, could play center line, could play forward, but when forward, he was extremely dangerous. Uh, a very classy player. Uh, if you're a full forward, you you would dream of a guy, uh, of this guy having a ball in his hand. So he was my number five, and I'll go to you, Rowan. Hey, uh, <clears throat> my number five is uh, a Brownlow medalist. Uh, no less in a premiership year. Um, <clears throat> we all know how good he was. I'm talking about Gavin Wanganeen. Um, uh, 91 to 96, uh, very sadly left to go back to his uh, original club, Port Adelaide. And my memory is at the time that, um, you know, whilst people appreciated it was a big loss, I think uh, the full impact of that was probably only felt you know, in hindsight, a couple of years later. Um, certainly, I felt yeah. that way because I thought, you know, Essendon was right up there and, yeah, he was a loss, but they'd cover for it. But I never felt like they, they really adequately did cover for it. And, um, you know, you've only got to watch sort of a package of highlights of that 93 season to see just how critical he was to that team. I mean, he, he wasn't only a defender, he was a playmaker. Um, you know, he had a couple of years, didn't he, where he was used a, a bit more sort of uh, widely than yeah. he, after he came to settle down in that back pocket. But <clears throat> right from the time he, he went into that back pocket, uh, he almost sort of remade the role of a back pocket, I thought. And it, it wasn't just 
they're common now, guys that sort of provide that run and rebound. But it was also his aerial ability in that position as well. I mean, some of those amazingly courageous marks he took in that premiership year. Uh, he had a, a great uh, reader of the play, uh, real cat-like reflexes. Uh, you know, he was slightly built, but he had a capacity to sort of soak up physical, uh, physical punishment. Um, kicked the greatest point of all time in the 93 grand final. What a tragedy that didn't go through for a goal. Uh, hit the post in the goal square at, at the Gabba in the 96 qualifying. Oh. That was a tragedy too. Um, but, you know, like so many of Essendon's best memories in the 90s are tied up with Gavin Wanganeen. 127 games in the 90s, uh, which puts him in terms of aggregate games in the 90s. He comes in at number nine. So, you know, played a lot more footy in the 90s than most people. And for the bulk of that was one of Essendon's handful of best players. Just, a, you know, he gave them that flair and an attack and creativity that I think they sorely missed without him. And mm. I'd go so far as to say that, you know, had he stayed, I reckon at least one of those two near misses in 99 and 01 definitely would have been a premiership. So... Wonderful, wonderful footballer. And, of course, went on to have just as good a career at Port Adelaide. You know, he's one of the all-time greats, really. And um, a pleasure to watch him play. Can I ask, Rowan, uh, there used to be this fan rumour, but I don't know if you can validate this. There used to be this fan rumour that Port Adelaide we're throwing out a McDonald's franchise to, yeah, to get him. Yeah, uh, and it went kind of, went kind of everywhere. And, and I look, I kind of made the assumption later on that it just wasn't true, but it, did that ever cross your path when you're a journalist? That kind of, uh, well, I actually put it to him and he insisted that he was far more a, a fan of hungry Jack's. So he wasn't <laughs> interested in me. No, I look, I, I, I don't think I ever uh, confronted him with that directly, but, um, Oh, look, I mean, you know, obviously there was plenty of money on offer, but I think it was also the attraction of Port coming into the AFL. That was a club with which he'd got his start. Um, and, you know, he, he was a fantastic servant for Port Adelaide as well. Um, yeah, yeah. The, it's a great pity we only got to have him for six seasons, but, geez, what, what seasons they were. He kicked one of the most amazing goals at Princess Park against Richmond, uh, it was basically just, it was almost like a socket half volley off the, from the boundary line. But it I was just, one, yeah. it was just one of the most amazing, yeah. <laughs> a bit of luck, obviously, but just to actually, I was right behind it in the crowd and to see the angle that he had only to, to get a goal. It was, he just did some freakish things that, uh, yeah, the, the way he used his body, uh, sort of him and Ramanaskis are kind of very, were kind of that kind of really rubbery shaped uh, could could sort of recover from off the ground so fast, uh, and just a dynamic marking rebounding player. He's he's definitely obviously in my top five. I won't say where he is, but uh, great selection, Rowan. Sounds like me. Yep. Well, I'm with you, Rowan. I am at number five as well. I uh, one of these players. It's really tough when you get into these top five because they're uh, so many of them are so close together. The thing that I remember so much about Wanganeen, more than anything else, was his courage. The amount of times he'd, go. he'd just go where he had no right to go. And he'd get crunched. It wasn't, it wasn't as if he'd... A lot of the times, you, you see the famous night by Nick Rewald where he 
went over the top of the pack and uh, and took that great mark. But he didn't actually really get hit. Whereas Wanger needed to go for these marks and he'd just get crunched and, he, and he'd get up again. And for someone of such a slight build and small frame, it was in, incredible what he, what he used to do. But he, as you said, he also had this skill to back it up. And I really do agree with you there. I think he re, did redefine the back pocket role to a large degree. Mm-hmm. He was one of the first ones that really made it into an attacking position. He was a, an incredible defensive player. He was always able to get in a spoil or outmark a player. And he was, as you say, really cat-like on the ground. But it was his attacking ability that I think was one of the first real players that, that showed that and showed uh, what could be made of a role. And that extended to uh, other all areas of the back half as well. You'd have uh, uh, that his sort of uh, precedence led to players like Adam Saad and Conor McKenna, who were really... Uh, now using a very attacking players, they're negating, but they attack as well. So I would have liked to have had him higher, and I'm sure if he played more than the six seasons he'd had at Essendon, he would be. As you said, he had a great career at Port Adelaide as well, and it was a, just a tragedy that he left. It was one of my, I think, <laughs> I can't really think of too many people that didn't have him as one of their favourite players. Yeah. Um, always gave his all and, and just an amazing player to watch. Um, mm. Just while I'm uh, on a roll here, uh, my number four was um, uh, your one, uh, Scott, with uh, Mark McCurry. Talked about okay. him a bit last week and uh, another one of those players that just great to watch. Um, silky skills, brilliant overhead uh, and in any marking contest, really. And uh, just fantastic by foot as real, a, re- a real great all-round player. And another one that's just fantastic to watch. And Grant, as we go to your number five, I did forget to show the list of where we're at as far as everyone's uh, countdown. So as you're talking, uh, I'll, I'll put up the screen so uh, the YouTube audience can um, see what our votes were. So Grant, okay, what's cool. your number five? My number five, Mark McCurry. Um, I heard him um, uh, described as a Cadillac um, at some stage in his career. He was smooth. Um, he had all of the skills. I think everybody, everybody knows the reason why we have him up the pointy end of this. Um, just a, a really smooth, uh, talented footballer who I absolutely love to watch. Um, and a small point of interest, I played 18 holes of golf with Mark McCurry one time um, at the course. He, was, he just came on. I was there by myself on a day off. And it was at the course on... Um, in Knox, I forget the name of it, a big links course there in Knox. Um, and I got paired up with Mark McCurry, as you do. So, Who won? Uh, oh, man, I didn't even... He, he hit a golf ball okay, I'll give him that, yeah. um, but didn't count. Uh, but, yeah, and I had, yeah. the, had the joy of playing 18 holes with the man. Yeah. Most of these guys are really multi-talented, I think. They've just got the body, the uh, natural hand-eye coordination, and they can do lots yep. of things, I think. Well, it's funny about that. I actually, yep. uh, I actually uh, worked next to Wanganine when he first started with Essendon. I um, was in a bookstore in Blackburn and uh, he actually was working at the next door. So we actually uh, had lunch one time um, nice. and, and he was very, very young and he was the shyest person I think I'd ever met, <laughs> but very, very, was, ki- very kind and soft hearted. He, he, he was really, he was, he was a Paul Salmon protege too. So he wouldn't have paid. He he did, um, Gary, you'd appreciate this. I mean, he he was incredibly painfully shy, but 
Um, you know, like he's a he's a guy what in his forties now, isn't he? But I, I did the Mungrel Footy Show with him quite a bit uh, a couple of years back, and uh, you know, he's he's such a lovely bloke and um, very well spoken and and really got his head good head on his shoulders. The other one I wanted to ask you about Gary too was Merck's. Like um, in a in an age where it's very hard to sort of remain low profile, particularly if you're a former league footballer, he has successfully become the Howard Hughes of former AFL players. Like you just, you don't see him, you, you can't speak to him. You know, there's, I know the Essendon, the people in the Essendon media department, you know, they're sort of desperately always trying to dig up. Everyone always says, oh, what about Merckx? I wanted to do an interview with him, but he's like Howard Hughes. You just never see him. Yeah. The club are, the club are doing a big... Uh, um, documentary for our 150th year in 2021 and I'm at the stage where they they interviewed about 60 70 players and I'm at I went over late last or mid last year or late last year and he to that stage they he hadn't accommodated with them with an interview so hopefully he did because we get him on record but um, wonderful player I think on previous telecast um, he was the, the silk before Sean Burgoyne was Mm. And um, Gavin Gavin turned up uh, as a really shy bloke. It didn't take long for Mercedes McCurry, Calthorpe, Alarenshaw to get a hold of him and bring him out of his shell a little bit. And um, I think probably his first girlfriend too that he ended up marrying as well, Stephanie Richard. She um, certainly brought him to the fore. But um, look, wonderful player, uh, really shy. I think came from a family, pretty religious family. Uh, he's yeah. Father was a late lay preacher, and he lived with Alan Dunn over in Donvale. So quite a few mm. times, he'd, I'd uh, pick him up and and drop him off from the footy club. But I'm not sure whether it was a McDonald's. It may well have been a time zone. You know the the, the game arcade. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That might have been might have been a time zone or a couple of time zones was uh, was on offer because I think in the McDonald's corporation you've got to sort of come through the ranks and. Uh, and you know, get to get to be a manager before you own one, I think. But uh, that was another rumor as well. But not sure how solid that uh, particular rumor is. <laughs> that, that, that's interesting because it, it made me think. I wonder if um, Sydney lured Buddy Franklin up there with the a time zone franchise. Because not all that long ago, when my son was still, I think he was about ten years old. But we were at Chatty one day, and we went into you know whatever the game arcade there was. Can't remember if it was time zone or not. And uh, I remember looking up, and there's Buddy playing one of the games in the uh, in the little <laughs> kiddies video game yeah. arcade. You, know, you might have been contributing to his uh, well, his superannuation. He <laughs> may well have been. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Gary, what was um, Wang and he like to play with? Did you were you as fearful of him as we were as spectators? Yeah. Oh, look, as you said, as you mentioned, actually, the rubber man. He not only um, at ground level in the air, he could be out of position, have a probably a one in five chance of marking it, or sorry, of being able to even bring the ball to ground, and he'd somehow mark it. You know, just get himself yeah. in a contorted position to stretch himself around the opponent who had eighty percent of the the uh, the contest, and Gavin had no right to win it, and he just kept on winning it. So yeah. whether whether like he, there was some knocks on him as well, like he he made the the back line his own. But when we throw him on the ball, he'd sort of the game would sort of go around him a bit, and yeah. so he, he liked to be at one end of the ground. He had a little bit of a go forward and was okay, 
who was absolutely fantastic behind the ball where he could see the whole game. And I think as a player, he got better in the midfield when he had the chance when he was at Port Adelaide at his second stint. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So let's go now to number four. I better actually get my list <laughs> up and up and running. We're prepared for this. <laughs> so, professional, yeah. professional podcast. I only had a week to get ready. <laughs> so I actually had uh, Dustin Fletcher uh, at number four. Um, look, obviously, you know what? Four hundred games. Four hundred games. Legend of the club, uh, Mister Reliable. Played. He could play loose. Could play tight. Uh, could play multiple um, to positions in the back line, whether he wanted small forward or, or tall forward. Uh, great swing man, can pitch in the ruck. Uh, that's had a few experiments of him going forward and, and, and looks not too bad. One of the best exponents of the torpedo you would ever want to see uh, and love to let it fly. But just, yeah, I mean, he's, he's the guy that has, you know, the Vegemite toast in the car park at training before training and, and just casually just turns up and and does training and that's that's is I always felt like uh, Fletcher was the guy that you could just easily sit with and you would not think he was an AFL footballer just would be uh, just as just as relaxed and chewed out as you and 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 for a guy with so much accolades and Premiership players and 400 games he's one of the most down to earth people I think you would ever want to meet so he is my number four um, and I'll go with you, Ron. Okay, uh, my number four is uh, Michael Wong. Um, rolled up to the club in '89. Uh, was I reckon up until probably early '93, as good as he was, and he was very, very good. But he wasn't necessarily always that consistent. Um, and if you remember, he had some issues early in '93 with uh, a few suspensions early in the season, and really just a touch. Sort of cleaned up his act. I mean, not that he was dirty, but he he just, I don't know, it seemed to really sort of focus him. And, of course, you know, came to an absolute peak at the perfect time in that 93 final series. And um, who would forget his grand final performance? But the other finals, he was terrific as well. And just that explosive pace, um, unpredictability of movement, you know, that moment in the grand final where he's just standing there um, you know, sort of daring whoever it was to yeah. take him on, take him on, as Ian Robertson said in the commentary. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he again, just gave Essendon that sort of explosive quality that other sides found so hard to handle. And then, you know, he content- once he sort of hit that level in 93, he maintained it. Of course, you know, he missed a, a year with a, uh, a major knee op too, unfortunately, but, you know, was playing great footy right up through to the end of the 90s. Um, magnificent player to watch. You know, there's a few players I've seen play for Essendon in my time following who I've enjoyed watching as much and who, you know, got the crowd sort of, you know, you could hear the crowd audibly buzz when he went near the ball. Um, you know, just a, a, a fantastic player. You know, the other stuff goes without saying too, not that that's necessarily yep. in the criteria, but... You know, the moment in 95, Anzac Day with Damien Monkhurst, you know, it was a really, really important moment for Australian mm-hmm. football, no doubt about that. Um, just a quick little anecdote. I was actually um, one of the... Well, when he 
he arrived in Melbourne and uh, it was the end of 1988 or might have been, you know, yeah, right at the end of 88. And uh, there'd been that thing where he'd been out in a fishing boat and there was a cyclone or whatever and they couldn't contact him for a day or two and there was all this panic about, you know, where he was. But eventually he comes to Melbourne and uh, I did, uh, for the age, I did the first interview with him. It was myself and Michael Stevens, who was there for still the son. It wasn't the Herald Sun at that stage. And we went and spoke to him, I think it was on a Sunday morning or something. And um, it was the most monosyllabic interview I've ever conducted. Geez, it was hard work, you know. It was just, yeah. so what do you think about this, Michael? Uh, oh, yeah, it's all right. You know, it was that sort of stuff. Um, it, you know, it was just painfully shy. Um, and I'll never forget, I said, so, you know, what What do you know about VFL footy? And uh, he, he said, oh, you know, and I, I, like, uh, I like Mickey McLean. And uh, I said, what about, you know, the big stars, you know, uh, like, say, Dermot Burton. He goes, oh. See that big blonde-headed bloke, you know, like he, his, <laughs> yeah, knowledge, yeah. his knowledge of VFL football was fairly thin on the ground. But, um, you know, it, look, Gary, everyone who's had anything to do with Longy knows what a ripping fellow he is and how funny he is and how intelligent. And he has become such a wonderful, wonderful ambassador for Indigenous people and, and uh, Indigenous issues. Um, mm. He's a gem. Uh, and, you know, we, we were so... Lucky to have him, and full credit also to Sheeds and to Noel Judkins and anyone else involved in that for having the, I shouldn't say courage, but at that time it was seen as a, a, a bold recruiting gambit out of the box, you know. And yeah. it would, the, if you have a look at the numbers of Indigenous players who were playing VFL footy the season before Longy arrived, you know, you're talking about, it, was, it might have been 10 or something. The absolute explosion in recruitment of Indigenous players mm. that came purely off the back of how well he did for Essendon. So, you know, he's just so such an important figure in footy in so many ways. But for our purposes, simply as an Essendon player of the 90s, really, really hard to go past him. And that longevity, 136 games in the 90s, which puts him number five in the list of most games played in the 90s by an Essendon player. Yeah, impressive. I, I remember uh, talking to Harves um, and we were talking about Michael Long. I was actually at a sportsman's night that I organised a long, long time ago. But I'm talking to Harves and we're, we're talking about Longy. And I don't know, if Gary, if this is a story you know, but and whether it's true, but it still made me laugh. Uh, but uh, Harves always said, you know, the, the funniest thing he ever thought that Longy did was uh, in a team meeting when they were obviously talking tactics. And um, Sheedy's obviously got the writing on the whiteboard and Longy's got his hand up and, and, <laughs> and he said, can I just ask why it's a whiteboard, not a blackboard, please. And with a very serious face and, she, and poor Sheets' face is, is, is now Harvey's described has gone white. And then Longy's obviously just burst out <laughs> laughing. And then the whole, yeah, that was just sort of the sense of humor he had. Um, but yeah, a magical, magical player. I thought the one that he was famous for was asking, he came off with a, bruise uh, one day and he asked uh, Doc Reed said look where is he he says well you're the doctor you tell me where it is but it's a great summation there Rowan uh, a couple of things that I really remember about him particularly in the early days too there was one thing first of all when he first started he could barely kick it over a jam tin he he really could kick it about 35 meters maximum he had 
virtually no power on his leg. And it, uh, I don't know how they managed to develop it, but in the end, he could kick goals from 50-55, uh, which was an extraordinary uh, um, achievement from where he actually started. But the other thing I remember when he started too was that he would uh, almost do anything to avoid having a shot for goal. He'd be yes. running in, he'd be 35 metres out, um, almost directly in front, and he looked to, to, to pass it or, or hand pass it over the top. And it must have, um, Gary might be able to explain a bit more about that, but they must have put a lot of work into just to build up his confidence to tell him, look, when you position, have a shot. Uh, it was, uh, but, and he did do that later on and, uh, and uh, uh, really developed his goal kicking to a great degree. And as you said, Rowan, what a tragedy that he uh, did his knee right after he reached top form in the 93 season. And that was the 93 final series, the whole final series, everyone remembers the grand final, I should say, but the whole final series was one of the all-time great final series by a player, I thought. Every game he was dominating and it was a, yeah, just, a, just a fantastic player to watch. And uh, just the way he, he really had no idea what he was going to do. He was, he'd, he'd weave and he'd duck and he'd, uh, and he'd hand yeah. pass and he'd kick it in different directions and uh, yeah, incredible player to watch. He was um, he was so he was so physical too. Like for a guy his size, he had quite a I don't have the word mean streak, but he had quite an intimidating feel. Like who did he crunch in the grand final with Simmons? Simmons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that was a dangerous, but <laughs> that was a heavy collision. Well, that uh, that led to the uh, the front on contact uh, rule a bit. I think that was because. Um, it might have been a bit before your time, um, Scott and Grant, but I remember the whole the, the incident with um, Neil Scarchi. Yeah. Yes, actually, yeah, playing his second game for Footscray. Yeah. And he uh, he uh, got yeah got crunched and uh, and ended up a quadriplegic mm. out of it. It was uh, and it wasn't that dissimilar from the uh, Simmons incident. And it's mm. one of the all credit to the AFL that they have really eradicated that sort of action out of the game because that's, you know, really somebody could have died. Yeah. Well, that. so that's a great thing. Well, Neil, well, we know, we know your number four is McCurry. So I yep. might in the, in the, uh, for the sake of time, I might go to yep. Grant, just get your number four, if that's all right. Longy. Um, oh, well, that's easy. <laughs> absolutely. cannot go wrong uh, with Longy. Uh, just a, just a great bloke and an absolute credit to um, uh, his heritage, that bloke, seriously. Okay, Gary. And and all those stories about Longy are true. Um, it was actually David Whedon on a whiteboard, and oh, was okay. he'd written it with a permanent marker. He went to rub it out, and everyone was giving him hell and sheets at the back of the room because Longy was probably giving him the the most stick. He said Longy, what are you going to do when you're a coach? He says, I won't be using a whiteboard. I'll be using a blackboard. Ah, <laughs> so, nice. But uh, the Bruce Reed one's correct. Look, his sense of humour, just the, he was the gel with the camaraderie at, at that time uh, when he when he came in. Shy, but you know, just as he grew in confidence, um, he was able to just have a real respect amongst the players. Didn't say a lot, but when he did, um, everyone was just on the edge of their seats. Um, wanting to listen. Grand final 93 on the Thursday night, two days before the grand final, um, Loris Bertolacci, our um, conditioning and uh, strength coach, had him, or he did uh, his maximum personal best on a squat. So you'll have all these players going, oh yeah, no, okay, 
I've got to you know, put myself in cotton wool for the week. I've got to get up for the grand final. Longy was doing maximum leg squats, one rep, um, two days before, one of the better games that's been played in a grand final. And like you said, it's probably, it goes down in folklore. Him, probably Kevin Bartlett, Gary Abbott yep. Senior, a three yep. that, or the three that come to mind that had yep. total um, final series that, yeah. uh, that dominated and got there. And if he didn't play, we wouldn't have won. We wouldn't have won. Yeah. Um, mm. Just the, you know, the Adelaide game, he was just keeping us in it, um, you know, in the preliminary final. We don't win a flag if he's not in our squad. So really good to have him around. With the goal kicking, yeah, he used to give off a lot. Whether it was confidence, whether it was he didn't want the responsibility, I reckon it was a fair bit to do with his humility. He didn't mm. want to be seen to be taken all the glory. As funny as it sounds, at that time, he probably would now, but at that time, both goal kicking and his ability, to, he was the quickest player I saw. He only ran as fast as he needed to do to get away from an opponent. It was, I reckon, to do with not showing someone up and that was just him mm. and I think that's in his makeup but he he could have easily won the 100 at the in the Olympics he unbelievably quick and we didn't see the best of it because he kept yeah. it uh in his back pocket but nice um uh. fantastic Fletch we've talked about him as well uh he's the prototype for your modern day player the ones that are all uptight get him around to their place uh even now he's just so affable so likable so um, so good to sit down and have a beer with and talk about how, what you're doing now and what you're doing, what, what, what we did in the past. Geez, he's a good fella, uh, Dustin Fletcher. And you know, the longevity of, the, of being in the, the comp um, was a fantastic you know, feather in his cap as well. Yeah. So let's go to number three. And I actually have Wanganin at number three. Uh, I know it's, it's fairly high, but I... I mean, I just rated him through the roof. Uh, Brownlow medalist. Uh, we obviously, we've spoken about him before, so I won't go on too long. But he, he was one of those players that there's a few players that I, I kind of watch that just, I think they're just something so uniquely special. Uh, and we talk about the Tim Watsons in the 80s. And, and, and I put kind of Wanganine in that class. You know, I kind of have the, the Wanganine, Baker, Mercury, where there's guys that just, there's just something that's just different, that's extra special about what their craft is and, and what they can do on a football field. And I just rated him through the roof. And it was obviously a big loss. But for what he still did in the 90s, uh, it, was, it was pretty amazing stuff. And, and for the age that he was to win a Brownlow then, uh, even though it was, I think it was only 17 votes or something like that, it, it was still an um, amazing accomplishment because not many backmen actually win Brownlow. So... Uh, uh, all credit to him. So I'll go to you, Ron. I'm pretty sure he's the last uh, backman to win a Brownlow, uh, unless there's someone I'm, I'm not thinking of. Um, all right, number three, I've gone with uh, Dustin Fletcher. Um, 128 games in the 90s, uh, 128 of, what was it, 862 that he ended up playing <laughs> over 54 seasons. Um, that puts him... <laughs> number eight in the most games played in the 90s list. Um, you know, to come into that 93 side and hold down that full back role in, or key defensive role in, in what was a premiership side. 
funnily enough, you know, one of the performances that stays with me is the grand final. He played on sticks, uh, Steve Kernahan, who mm-hmm. kicked seven goals in a grand final. And yet, you know, if you have a look at the record books, it'll sort of say, Jules, you towed up Fletcher. But it didn't sort of feel like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like Fletcher was, he yeah. never let his, uh, he never sort of bowed his head. He never looked beaten by it. And he was left on him. For, I'm pretty sure he was left on him for the entirety of the game. Mm-hmm. Well, he got lots um, of spoils in. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and and that again, and we talked about this last week. It comes back to that unflappable nature, that that sort of ability just to, you know, concentrate the right moments, not to get too caught up in anything. Absolutely, no doubt that was a huge part of him having such longevity. Yeah, Uh, it certainly enabled him to be a key player at a very very early age, Um, and you know he just got better and better. You know, magnificent. You know. The, the telescopic arms, the uh, closing speed on an opponent in front of him, um, the, the judgment. And one thing I do want to say with him um, is that, you know, this sort of myth evolved about how I didn't play on the best forwards, you know. Well, one, that was a testament to his versatility, the fact that he could play on a guy like mm. Phil Matera, as one of you guys mentioned last week. Yeah. But for a lot of that time too, you know, he was playing on the great key yeah. forwards in an era where mm. footy was overflowing with them. You know, Modra, yeah. Sumich, Carey, Kernahan, Dunstall, Lockett. Uh, and funnily oh, enough, the, the only one who I think consistently got the better of him was Sav Rocker. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, he did, Sav, Sav did get him a few times. But, you know, wonderful player, durable um Easy, easy, low maintenance for coaches and captains. <laughs> uh, a fantastic player. So, yeah, I've got him through. One of the, one of the few guys that can uh, get thrown into a stand at the SCG, just jump back over the stand and just go back <laughs> to his position. Yes. Uh, not that you're yeah. going to take Plugger on <laughs> and remonstrate anyway, but uh, that's just the way he was. He just gets thrown into the third row and gets jumps back over the fence and runs back to his position. And that's just kind of... Sums him up. It was a very Michael Tuck kind of, you know, just wiry. Yeah. 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 Yep. Actually, one of my one of my regrets with Fletch is uh, one of the great what might have been, and that was uh, when um, Dean Wallace took that mark in the '99 preliminary final. Oh, don't! No, 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 don't! Please don't! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know what you're going to say. No, oh, go. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, you can just imagine. Can't you, with with fifteen seconds to go, it's hand passed to Fletch and he drills it from uh, from sixty meters. Can I just yeah. can I just say that I, maybe, I was maybe a, I should forget about that incident. I, I was a I was very very slow to appreciate the um, what Dean Wallace brought to the Essendon side. In fact, it became a running gag between me and the coach. And mm. uh, I remember the famous nil boys nil goals game against St Kilda. <laughs> Um, the first thing Sheeds did when we rolled up for the press conference was to sort of grab me and say, hey, what do you think of him now? And my response was, well, it's only taken him five years, Sheeds. But <laughs> it, well and tru- it well and truly won me over in 99. And then he threatened to undo it all with one very badly uh, judged attempt uh, to balk. Uh, yes, that was fun. So who have you got um, at number three? Sorry, Neil. I had Michael Long. So okay. we've uh, talked about him a bit there, yeah. Um, I had a bit higher than uh, than a few of you others there, and uh, uh, yeah, just a just a great player, and um, 
to be this high up in the rankings of, of all of us really just shows a testament to how good a player he was. And, and really, I think there was, uh, the fact that he's gone on to have such an impact in, in the general life in Australia as well, um, shows what sort of a person he, he is. And uh, uh, as Gray said, very humble, yet, um, um, yet obviously re- very confident of his abilities at the same time. Yeah, um, but yeah, probably one of the most enjoyable players to watch. I, I, yeah. I saw. I think. Grant, how about your number three? Um, three Coleman's, twelve times leading goal kicker, five-time All Australian, goal of the year, mark of the year, Essendon captain, uh, Matthew Lloyd. Uh, what more can you say about nine hundred plus goals? Um, an end of uh, Eddie Had Stadium named after you. Uh, he was he was an incredible pickup for us. We gave up a few blokes to get him, um, but I well and truly think we got the better end of that deal. Uh, he he could take a mark. He <laughs> Delaney was a gun, mate. Delaney was a gun. They'll <laughs> kick it. I missed him. And Ridley and Todd. Um, <laughs> but I think we well and truly got the 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 better end of the stick. Uh, Lloydie was. He's just the full forward that if you if he if he laced him up again now and he was as good as he was uh, back then, Essendon would be just in an incredible place. It's one of those full forwards that you you dream of who can take the great mark, who was reasonable on the ground, um, who had a good boot on him as well, and just absolutely was a was a great player during the nineties for the for the footy club. I'll go on to you, Gary. Yeah, uh, three or four. Essendon would win three or four more games a year if he was still playing for us. So that would be um, that would be, you know, be the next level. So you'd, you'd have a real chance. And, he probably uh, still could play too. He probably could, yeah. yeah. Just um, you know, and like we mentioned, Fletch. Obviously, he played an era where it was one on one as well with all those champion forwards. Yeah. And uh, you know, you know, we, we had two great players at uh, the key posts at either end and mm. you sort of almost build your teams around them, don't you? So, um, Lloydie, I thought, would keep playing at the end of his career. Um, when he's 9.26, I thought, yeah, he'd keep playing and try and get a 1,000. But he had other... He had bigger fish to fry and um, he's continued to improve himself as a person off the field as well. And um, he's forging a, a, a quite an impressive post-career um, in the media. And I'm... And, and it's, it's similar to everything, he, everything he's done, he's worked hard at. And uh, he's obviously working hard at being better in the media, you know, week by week, month by month, year by year. And, um, you yeah, full credit to him. And yeah, obviously, uh, what, top three, you're, you're, you're going okay. Um, and he probably did his best work in the 2000s too. So mm. he's going to, um, if you continue on with that, mm. or sorry, um, you're going to, He's going to be featuring really prominently in, in that area as well. But, um, mm. yeah, three good picks, obviously. Wang, Lloyd, Longy and Fletch at the number three position here. Just very quickly on Lloyd, you, you're quite right about how diligent he is about everything. And he has been with his media career. In fact, um, we got him aboard uh, for the Sunday Age in 1999. I think, and um, I, I actually rang him up to ask him if he was interested, and I, I, I'm not sure if he was expecting it. And he 
but he thought about it and, you know, sort of came in and he was very, you know, dutiful about, you know, what do I need to talk about and doing his research. And, and you can see that everything he presents in the media sense is always well-informed, well-researched, but he never forgets sort of who helped him initially. And so every time he's won a few media awards now and it, like any time he wins one now, I go, oh, no, it's going to do it again because he always makes a point of thanking me for you getting him involved in the age and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it's very gratifying. But he's a very, you know, there's a, there's a lot of pride in his performance, but there's a lot of humility about him too and sort of never forgetting, you know, how he got there, you know. Nice. Yep. And with Longy too, uh, you haven't lived until you've gone up the island with their family. <laughs> I know um, Jack, Jack has now passed on his father, but my God, we had... Uh, the best three days, Longy, myself, um, David Whedon, Danny Corcoran, uh, and, and Herdy. And just to experience his life from where he came from, you know, the big bar barbecue with Barramundi, Buffalo, uh, out, out fishing and going to the spots where they knew the fish had bite, um, and having the people that respected along so much where they lived and uh, to have... A campfire guitars with his father and him singing, oh. just fantastic memories. Nice. You're making me just a little bit jealous there, Gary. I must have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I could be there again. Well, let's let's get on to the final two, and um, I, I don't have a drum roll, sorry, but uh, uh, my number two uh, is Matthew Michael Long. Sorry, Matthew Lloyd uh, is is Michael Long. Uh, I won't go on too long. Obviously, Gary, you, you summed up Longy quite well. Uh, just a few things for me. Obviously, uh, for the club to have a statue of him as you walk in says a lot about who Michael Long is. Uh, I probably went a touch outside the criteria if I'm being hand on heart. So, obviously, he's a fantastic player, but he's not just with Essendon, his impact to Essendon and AFL in general, I must admit, impacted me a lot. So uh, so I'm very transparent in saying there's a bit of bias towards that. But he was uh, a person that um, I just looked up to quite a lot on how to treat people uh, and how to respect people. Um, and if you're talking, uh, talking my other criteria of playing well in big games, um, I don't think there's many that are, are too much better than in history than than this guy. So that's my view on Michael Long. I, I have him at number two on, on a whole range of of things that he, he accomplished in the 90s. And uh, and for me, it's it, he's my number two and, and uh, I love him to death. I'll go to you, Ron. All right, my number two. Um, now, a couple of things need to be said here. First, uh, you guys need to be suitably suitably chastised for your disgraceful <laughs> underrating of this player. Well, we've already had one suspension. Quite, quite disgraceful. Um, <laughs> secondly, uh, never let it be said that I don't know how to suck up to people at the appropriate <laughs> time. Uh, my number two is the man sitting right here alongside us, Mr. Gary O'Donnell. Um, one no, shame. 190, as he, oh. as Gary studiously looks at his notes so he doesn't have to hear this. Yeah, uh, writes, his, writes his own name <laughs> down on the list. Yeah. <laughs> It'll drive me to drink. <laughs> uh, no, no, let, let's be serious. 197 games in the 90s. That puts him number one for games played in the 90s. 
Um, where do you start with this bloke? I think of Gary, I think of one of the last players in the competition to have a very traditional sort of upbringing into senior football, i.e. played a lot of reserves football. So yeah. by the time he came into that side, he absolutely cherry ripe to play. In fact, probably should have played earlier. Now, quickly, Gary, I'm right in saying, aren't I, first game round 22 v Collingwood 87? Correct. Correct, yep. There were a couple who debuted, wasn't there, from memory? Just myself and Brendan Moore. Brendan Moore. Yeah, okay. And we they lost... Left, uh, they left out Roger Merritt and Shane Hurd. That's right. So you playing oh. probably cost us Roger Merritt because he went off to Brisbane <laughs> after that. So thanks a lot. Um, I remember that game, actually. It was a Sunday game. So it was like the last game of the season and both sides out of finals contention and they bloody beat us by five points. But, um, you know, from the time this guy came into the side, he was... Everything about him was sure, you know, sure-footed, sure disposal, the right decisions. And he played that back pocket defensive role absolutely perfectly and did it with a plomb. And similarly to having done that reserves apprenticeship, he then did a development, if you like, as a back pocket, which meant that when he began to play a lot more in the midfield, he was perfectly ready to take that on. And he made every poster winner as a midfielder too. And why I think... Please don't get embarrassed, Gary. I, I think sometimes he doesn't get the kudos he deserves because he he was efficient, you know. And I, I call Leon Baker efficient. This guy was very, very similar to that. Never made a wrong decision. His disposal was always spot on. Mm. You know what I was... They've had that 93 preliminary final on so many times recently, and I'm sort of sick of watching it, believe it or not, but... The bit one of the moments that always stays with me is that moment where I think scores a level or or Eston's a few points behind in the last quarter. There's a bit you know ball sort of bobbling around. It comes out to Gary as soon as he gets his hands on the footy and he's like forty meters out. And Bruce McAvaney calls it too. He goes, he should go here, and he does. He was never ever going to miss that. Like Gary never made mistakes at a critical moment. Uh, in the same way that Bomber Thompson did that as well. And that served him well in the back pocket. It served him brilliantly as an on-baller. Also, a strong body, you know, could ride the bumps and hand them out as well. Incredibly disciplined, incredibly team-orientated. I'd also say this too, that as good as Longy's game in the 93 grand final was, this bloke was so, so close to getting that Norm Smith medal. He just played an absolutely superb game that afternoon. He continued to do it right through the 90s. He was incredibly durable, didn't get injured much, captained the side. Uh, I feel was probably wound up a little bit prematurely, then went on and, you know, uh, had a, a really good coaching career as an assistant to Lethal up in Brisbane. You know, he's not that that's relevant to this, but this guy, okay, he didn't sort of have the spectacular highs. He didn't have the high leap or the booming kick, but everything he did was correct and right, and they're the sort of footballers you need in your side, perhaps even more than the stars who can be a little bit erratic. These guys are the glue that holds your side together, and I just couldn't go past him at number two. Can I change my vote? Bravo! (laughs) (laughs) And Gary, Gary, I did did text you my address, didn't you, for for the check? 
every every award I ever win in the future, I'll thank you for naming me uh, where you've named me tonight. So As you should. Just like, Lord, you've got another ally. As you should. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, everything you said is, is true there, Gary. Uh, um, sorry, Rowan. And um, I think he was, a, Gary's the sort of player that every coach and every club would love to have. Um, because of the, uh, as you say, didn't put a foot wrong, but it's just the consistency. It's both the consistency in not only during a game, but in preparation and the way he went about a game. Um, and mm. that led to uh, just a, a very small difference, as we talked on previously, between his highs and lows. You knew what you were going to get every game. Um, if he was given a role, uh, it was like a set and forget. And you would you would give it to him, and you know that it's going to get done to the best of his ability. If his yeah. ability, if he wasn't up to it, that's a, which wasn't too often, um, that's a different thing. But you knew that he would he would do everything he could to um, to perform the role as well as he possibly could. I didn't have him quite as high myself um, because while, uh, with all due respect to Gary, while I um, appreciate all those attributes, and it's the he would be one of the first blokes you'd build a club around. But I thought some of the other players um, that we had, the, um, the Mercurys, the Longs, the Lloyds, um, were more able to actually win games. than. Oh, uh, go on, Neil. Tear him down. <laughs> I was just going to say, jeez. <laughs> no. The bloke's sitting one right there. Other, just a gentle you know, discussion. One of, my other, one of my other qualities is the ability to take criticism. So go for your life. So, Gary, I've got... Gary, to I've got to ask you, Gary, have you got any great stories about Gary O'Donnell? Oh, not that can be told. Like James Heard used to always say, oh, Gary, yep, he was diligent here, his great role model, this, that, and the other. And off-season and, you know, get him out and away from the public eye, he was, um, yeah, he, he, he was a changed man. Um, <laughs> the, the, you heard about the Brownlow, didn't you? The Monday, uh, the Bobby McGee situation where he just won the Brownlow in 96 yeah, and we didn't get in because it was an industry night. So there's yeah. one, but um, I'm trying to clean it up here. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we don't want the clean ones. That's what we're here that, for. That first, well, uh, my last footy trip, here we go. My last footy trip was in 98 after the club had moved me on. Um, and I reckon most players get told to move on. There's only a few lucky 10% maybe that realise, yep, it's the end for me and I should move on. Um, some think, okay, we might be able to just get out of a season and keep going. I got told and, you know, that's, that's fair enough. That, that, uh, that's life. But 98, we went to Bali. I'd never been to Bali before. And um, one, I was rooming with Steve Alessio that we were at the Hard Rock uh, Hotel in Bali. Beautiful hotel, beautiful setting. I'd got home at daybreak. I'd been out and Seth is in bed and I walk in. He goes, Gary, have a look in the mirror. I go, yeah, what? Have a look in the mirror. I looked in the mirror and my big bushy eyebrows, I'd lost one. Oh. And I'd, I'd fallen asleep at, uh, I think it was the Bounty Hotel, uh, but their motel site at, by the pool. And Dean Wallace and Che Cockatoo Collins got to me. So, bang, gone. They blamed it on my brother, Kevin, who was always also there at Springvale with their footy club. But the problem was, a week later, I was starting at the Brisbane Lions footy club under the great Lee Matthews as an assistant coach oh, no. with 
an eyebrow gone. So there's one good story for you. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, just don't oh, fall I, asleep. And I, I thought, think I was in. I think that night was our theme was you had to wear a dress. So you had to go out and buy a dress. So I was not only with one eyebrow. I was in a dress as well. So there you nice. go. Nice. I was hoping I was hoping for the hangover part three there. You wake up with a tiger in your room or something. <laughs> or a tat that I've yeah, had to have surgically removed. I just sorry. look just sorry. just sorry, just oh sorry. Uh, you go, Grant. Yeah, just I just want one real quick question and it's not the the probably the nicest question, but it's um, always interests me. You said you got moved on by the club, right? How does that happen? Like what did you get called oh. into with sheets well, or, or yeah, no, sure. It was Sheeds and Maddie Drain where they delivered the news. I'd got wind it was happening anyway. Um, and yeah, fair enough. That's fine. The, uh, they used to have, um, so I was vice president of the Players Association at one point. And when they had the, um, the salary cap rule where, veterans list rule where your veterans, half their salary, I wasn't on much anyway, but half your salary was in the salary cap. So they kept older blokes on. Yeah. And I said to she, you know, look, I haven't really made up my mind. You know, next year, 99, do you want to, is there a chance? You know, it'll only be half the salary and, you know, you're about, and no, nah, it was not, no, nah, that's it. You're done. The match committee had made their choice and that's, that's to be respected. And you know what? It was the best decision because I probably only had possibly half a year in me anyway. And so you, you cut your losses and you go, but, the thing that annoyed me was there was a leak on the board of the club. <laughs> and so we, I left that meeting saying, okay, we'll leave it for 24 hours to work out how we're going to announce it and how we go through that. And then back page of the paper the next day, it's on the Herald Sun, it's O'Donnell sacked. The back yeah. page. I was beside myself, beside myself. Yeah, that's not with cool. With, with how that happened. And it was purely, it wasn't Sheeds' fault, it wasn't Matty Drain's fault. It was on the board that they, board members like to be supporters at, at, at some point. Yeah. And they go, yeah, but I know something that will make me more important to the person I know and release it to. And all of a sudden you're back paid. That really hurt me. And yeah. if I can take that back, I would, if I take one thing back in the time machine, you'd sort of almost announce it straight away. You walk out of that meeting and you'd go, well, these days I'd put it on my Instagram or in, on Twitter. Thanks for the memories, Essendon, and I'm, I'm going off into the sunset. I mean, you can have some control. But that was, that was really disappointing, that part. Okay. Just quickly, can, uh, Neil, we'll go to you. Can we quickly do our number twues? Because we're just running out of time. Just so, okay. right. uh, and yep. we'll then go on to the one. I don't know who the number one's going to be. Yeah, but my, uh, my number two was Matthew Lloyd. And one of the reasons I had him so high was that uh, you look at his record here, um, 63 goals in 97, 70 goals in 98, 87 goals in 99. Um, there's been virtually nobody else at the club that has kicked those sort of numbers um, as a full forward going right back to sort of Jeff Blethen. Um, I think I told you last. I told you last week, Neil. I kicked eighty-seven. I did kick eighty-seven. Yes, yes, yes that's true. <laughs> and 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 so did he. <laughs> <laughs> took took me fourteen years. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, look for and considering how young he was, started in ninety uh, ninety-five, uh, and um, you know, as about a nineteen-year-old to come on and kick sixty-three goals. Then the year is fantastic, and he 
um, was very much in the late uh, 90s, um, the focal point of the uh, forward line. And it's even better, obviously, in the 2000s, but uh, uh, that's why I had him up so high in the, in the 90s. Tom? And how about you, Grantis? Uh, my number two, uh, Wangers. Wangers. Um, incredibly, again, that you, you mentioned the rubber man before. I just, he must have been so ridiculously hard to tackle because he'd, he'd take, I often wondered, watched him take off with his feet and you get all your drive from through your feet and your legs, but then his, his hips would be like sideways, but his legs would still be going underneath. And the players are trying to grab him and, and they, they wouldn't know where to go because his body would move this way and move that way. Um, incredible player. Um, I see a little bit of, little bit, um, hopefully it grows. I see a little bit of um, Andy McGrath, um, uh, wangers in Andy McGrath, uh, in that sometimes he just, he'll be in a pack, he'll twist, he'll turn and he'll get out of the pack. So um, Gavin Wanganine, incredible footballer, like freaky, freaky good footballer. So love that bloke to death. Look, uh, for the sake of time, I'm just going to, I thought we'll quickly go to number one now and, and I'll let you sort of close, Gary. Um, now, number one, I think if we're all all sort of serious, we don't even have to do a drum roll. You went for Russell Williams as well. Julian Kersner. I went for Julian Kersner. Aaron Henneman. Oh, yeah. Now, um, yep. Yeah, so... James Hurd's obviously my number one, and I'm going to make the assumption it's everyone's number one. Yeah. Uh, and look, I'm not going to talk about, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to let Gary and Rowan talk about James Hurd, the footballer. But I, um, but I will say this, a story that I've never really told many people, and it actually involves Rowan. And, and I've never... <laughs> And so, but this is not a 90s story. This is a, unfortunately, a, a more of a sadder uh, 2014 story. So James Hurd, obviously pretty much my hero. Like a, a, it's, Tim Watson was in the 80s. James Hurd's obviously my hero. He's brought up in my, my time frame, I guess. Uh, obviously the saga going on, James Hurd's getting pelted left, right and centre uh, for at least 16 months and from 2013 and and um i i kind of as a fan uh who owned a, a facebook site of about 5000 and a bit of a twitter following i kind of felt like no one's actually sticking up for this guy as as far as as i can see as as either from a fan base or sometimes even from club or 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 anything so i, I approached rowan connolly and um and I just wrote to him and said, look, I've written a little piece. Uh, would it ever be considered that it went into your paper, The Age? Which back then, ironically, The Age was probably our number one enemy. I'm sorry, Rowan, but it, it just was. It was just, it was a, it was a Essendon bashing machine, if I'm being completely honest. And, and I kind of wrote to Rowan and said, would you ever consider writing this article uh, or, or help me get it published? Because I think... What's lost in this is James Heard, the person, and the, James Heard, the footballer, and no one's actually actually heard from him. At that at that point, James Heard had actually had a, a, a basically a, a gag clause by the club, so he couldn't really speak on the issue. I said so we hadn't even heard from him. So I, I wrote a piece on just James Heard's career, 
and just saying is it isn't a time we actually have a bit of respect and a bit of pause about who this person is and wait till we see on the other end where things lay out and, and rowan was amazing so rowan uh got a hold of um the guy that was more in the editorial letters section uh instead of the sports section he was really blunt and said i don't think this will get through the sports section and then before it, I knew it, and he helped out with a few grammar issues <laughs> and a few cleanups. Uh, but before I knew it, uh, there was the article, and it just exploded uh, because no one had seen an article like that in, in the age. And um, I had Mark Robertson writing to me, and all these journalists writing to me saying, "You know, we can't say it out loud, but this needed to be said." Thanks, and. Um, it was, it's an article called James Hurd's uh, story, Essendon Stories Yet to be Told. And, and uh, I just want to make sure people understood that about Rowan also as a person and, and at the time. And um, it wasn't just me and, and he it was a tremendous help. So I'll let Rowan now talk about James Hurd, the player. But I, I just wanted to actually just acknowledge what you do behind the scenes and, and what a good person you are. And, and, and for doing these past six shows... It has only heightened my, uh, you was in possibly in our top 10 journalists uh, poll. So, uh, so no, no, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Journalist list. <laughs> For a horrible second, I thought you were going to make me your number one player of the night. <laughs> uh, no, no, thanks. I, I really do appreciate that, Scott. Thanks. But I, look, I mean, you know, it, it, it happens. People will solicit or people will make contact with us and say, you know, what I want to write this piece, what's the best way of, approaching it and I, I remember you doing that and I, I did think and I think rightly that um, you know there were some entrenched uh, uh, agendas uh, with some people in the sports section that was going to make yes. it difficult um, but I, I knew the sort of opinion pages might you know were often keener on taking contrasting points of view so um, mm. you know I, I was pretty open with everyone at the age that well you know i I sort of um, encouraged him to do it and blah, blah, blah. And he did a really good job on it. So, you know, well well done yourself. Um, just on Hurdy, uh, so I, I saw his first game, which was that first game in the 92 season, the, the Brad Fox strangle game. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> Hurdy didn't do a lot in that game and he got injured. Um, I think he got... He might have even got a punctured lung or something, a rib injury, or it was it was fairly serious. And he didn't uh, he didn't reappear until late in the season, so he sort of flew under the radar. And I'd seen him a little bit in the twos and thought, yeah, you know, he's pretty promising. But I think a lot of people, even at Essendon, Gary might correct me on this, but I was genuinely surprised at how quickly he developed. So he, he looked pretty good in those last few games in '92 when he played. But even by the 93 pre-season, you remember Essendon won that, uh, he was ready to fly. You know, he, he'd become a leader of that team over summer, you know, and, and demonstrated just how good a footballer he was. And he just kept getting better and better and better. So, you know, there's a three consecutive best and fairest in the 90s. Uh, in terms of games played, you know, plenty played more. He played 110 games in the 90s. So there's a good... Uh, 10 or 11 ahead of him in terms yeah. of numerically, but no one ahead of him for impact. Um, and then as he got more experience, that capacity to be thrown into various positions where Essendon needed the lift. And of course, he did that on the ball. He did it forward. He did, did it at times in defence. 
the absolute number one standout quality for me, as well as the obvious, you know, the cat-like reflexes, never seen a better player on the ground at ground level. Uh, his ability to win the ball at ground level and use it cleanly while even off balance, remarkable, incredible balance. Um, but for me, it's one ability and I've, you know, you, I've seen it in so few players, and I'll name them. Gary Ablett, um, Wayne Carey, um, Tony Lockett. I'd possibly have Michael Voss in there, um, but Hurdy along with him. And that is the ability to go, right, I, my side needs me now. I am going to win this game or I'm going to save this game. And he did it. And how many times did we see him do it? Yeah. You know, most memorably, probably in that West Coast game where he got the 15 touches in the last quarter, kicked the goal, yeah. had sex with the guy over the fence, <laughs> no, gave him a nice hug. Yeah. And um, no brown low votes. Uh, yeah, but yeah, well, you know, he, he'd sort of shat in the nest there a bit, hadn't he, really? <laughs> um, but, you know, just an amazing, amazing footballer. And he just knew when he got the, you know, by... by 50-odd games, every time he got the ball, you knew something good was going to happen with yeah. it. You know, the number of amazing goals he snapped over his shoulder, etc., etc. We all know how good he was. I, I don't need to elaborate anymore. Just a, a wonderful, wonderful... And he, he's Anzac Day stuff. Like, a, yeah. you talk about the West Coast game, but the one where he kicked five goals and, and yeah. just dominated the last quarter and... Uh, when, when, when you, yeah, when you've got a highlight where Dean Brioli's looking at you and wonder going, how did you do that? You know you're good when Dean Brioli's saying... <laughs> This guy's really good. One of my favourite Hurdy moments is from the first Anzac Day game when uh, scores were level with, you know, five minutes to go and he got the ball in the forward pocket and screwed it over his shoulder and that put Essen in front until Locker yep. took the big hanger and levelled the scores again. You know, just what a, what a you know, one of the greatest players of all time. Yep. He's, he's, certainly, he's certainly the best Essendon player I've ever seen. That's including the 80s. The uh, including Madden and Watson, his uh, his amazing. I'd almost go as far as to say that I think in the wider football community he's actually underestimated. I think uh, one of the things I always said from, from very early on, I used to take binoculars to the football, and uh, and I'd uh, historically I'd watch the game live and then I'd go back and watch it on television, and you couldn't see on television what you saw in the binoculars. The the stuff he did just a little the little taps and the little hand passes out just that every time you, you go back and hear a commentary during those days uh, they'll say the, the ball's in a pack and it comes out to O'Donnell who runs into an open goal and just that every time that happened it was heard it's it just amazing that the stuff that didn't get picked up um, unless you could really see in close and that's the thing that I uh, remember most about him he's a just a freakish player yep Oh, All right. He walked into the he walked into the club, humility, respect, uh, knew the history of the club, obviously, with two generations above him. He loved the club. He had respect for senior players. He, one of his first sessions might have been the first session as training with the seniors at Cross Keys in pre-season. He ran with the flight and took this mark where yeah, it wasn't quite the Jonathan Brown, Nick Rewald type mark, but it was something where everyone just went, oh, geez, look at him. Why, who can do that? He read, read the ball 0.5 of a second quicker than the best blokes that have ever played. Um, equal with Simon Black, the two of them were the best with knowing where the ball was going. They 
uh, if he, as the match winner, if he wanted the ball, he got it. If it was in his area, he generally got it. One knock on him, she used to always have a crack at him about his kicking um, and his ball drop. And he wasn't the best kick ever in that regard, like just field kick, but it just seemed to be effective. He'd hit a target and, as was mentioned, I think, Rowan, he'd just be able to kick a goal from anywhere. He knew where the two big sticks were under pressure without having to look. He just had that sense. So um, you couldn't go past him in the 90s. You probably can't go past him in the 2000s as well. Uh, wonderful player. And what, is he top three all time um, on the club's list of champions of Essendon? And, yeah. and, you know, that may well be debatable as well. Who knows? But um, you just couldn't go past him. Mm. Yep. Yeah, well said. Well, is that, are we all, are we all done? I think we are. Well, uh, thank you so much, uh, uh, Gary, for joining us for the fourth series. You, you, I've kind of signed you up for one and then, and then uh, fished you in for, uh, for the other threes. But uh, thank you so much. Look, it, we're eternally grateful. Um, you're welcome on the show anytime. Um, and look, we, we wish you all the best uh, in this interesting uh, times with the virus and everything. Wish family, health, safety and, and, and well wishes. and. Um, Again, uh, we can't thank you enough for supporting the show and, and just where, sharing your where thoughts. Where can we find you? Where can we find you, Gary? Well, I'm in Perth. Yeah. I mean, well, uh, the Give Simon us a plug. Academy, Give us a plug. But I'm in, I'm in isolation. So Simon Black Academy, uh, Diploma of Sports Manager, a development we do through Torrens University, but it's a footy academy. There's one in Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide as well. Um, and, yeah, it's been a pleasure to be here. You guys are in my top ten. Of podcasts oh, around oh, Australia, just, just, nice. except for Grant, who's number eleven. No, <laughs> just, just don't forget, Gary. Three zeros on the end of that check, boys. Minimum. Also to you, Rowan. Um, absolutely, thank you very much for being a part of this as well. Um, I know it's it, we've been taking an hour and a half of of uh, yourself and and Gary's time. But we, us three, we we'd sit here and talk to you guys for five straight hours if we could. So we really appreciate you coming on our dinky little podcast um, and giving the kind of insight and the kind of knowledge that um, that the, uh, definitely our listeners and our watchers now on YouTube, um, they're definitely giving us the feedback that that kind of insight and that kind of knowledge that you, you and you uh, have, Gary, um, has been incredible for the podcast. So thank you as well, Rowan. And uh, where can they find you? Uh, footyology.com.au is the website, uh, footyology podcast. Um, mainly these days I tend to hang out on Twitter, which is Rowan underscore Connolly. Um, actually this'll, this'll win me some fans. I actually did a Hawthorne podcast last Saturday night. Um, oh, bloody hell. which was, oh, well, they got me on to talk about the rivalry. It was good fun. Actually, it was a very okay. respectful uh, discussion. So you can have rivalry and keep it relatively civil. Um, but no, it's been a lot of fun, guys. Really enjoyed it. And just quickly, if just quickly uh, before we go, check out Rowan's top ten grand finals from nineteen ninety onwards. It's a fantastic series. Number one to, tomorrow. Yeah, you can go his YouTube channel and um, look forward uh, to oh, his. Hey, just quickly, Scott. Sorry, I, I'm blowing my cover a bit. Oh no, I'm not because people won't hear this till later. But. Uh, I can just let you in a little secret. If you didn't like what I just said before about Hawthorne podcast, number one grand final, Hawthorne loses. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nice. Nice. <laughs>
I yeah. like it. I so like you've it. got you've got number two Collingwood lose and number one Hawthorne lose. So every second grand final Collingwood lose. It's going on, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's instant respect. Uh, look, thank you both guys. Uh, have a great night, and thank you listeners for sticking us with the series and, and yeah. supporting the show and and all the amazing comments. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we have no idea what we're going to do next, but we'll think of something fun. Uh, but yeah, for this uh, series, thank you so much and. Goodbye, everyone, from the Lunchtime Gadget Podcast.